0: Welcome to another life impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Hey everyone, can we bring it back please? I'm gonna be reading uh, the Bible reading today. So the passage is Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, And if you've got one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1,878. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, Some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember these in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon i will come with him to see you greet all your leaders and all the lord's people those from italy send you their greetings grace be with you all
1: thanks heaps izzy that's really good um, please keep hebrews chapter 13 open in front of you i thought uh, just to wrap up our time in hebrews we'd just drill down into that verse i hope you heard it as we went through obey your leaders so their work will be a joy Not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. There's not a lot of joy for me. No, I'm just joking. We're not going to look at that in detail. We're going to look at the whole thing. Um, What I want you to do before we get going today is turn to the person next to you, and I want you to, in one line, summarize the entire book of Hebrews. No, I'm just joking. Um, I want you to turn to the person next to you more seriously, and with just two words, summarize the Christian faith with two words, what are the two words you would use to describe Christianity or the Christian faith? Yeah, two words, only two words, not something and, you know, just like, yeah, just two words. Go, I'll give you 45 seconds to summarize the Christian faith in two words, go. All right, let's come back together. Uh, anyone want to have a go? Anyone have a go? We're all friends. No wrong answers, sort of. Um, what do you got? What do you got? Anyone? Two words, two words. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Amazing grace. Hey, amazing grace. I like it. Amazing grace. Jesus saves. Yep. Thank God. Yes, it's good. I like it. Grace and love. Grace and love. Yep. eternal life. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Anyone? Anyone? Lust takers? Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, as we gather together this morning, uh, around your word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that we would see Jesus. We pray that we would hear Jesus. And we pray, Father, that we would love Jesus and Father, we pray that by your Spirit, uh, we would know what it means to love him um, as we live in this world, certain of the next. And so, Father, we pray again, help us to see Jesus and live a life, and live lives worthy of our calling in him. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. I, I love election day anyone else love election day when there's an election everyone just like went whatever Trevor like I love election day even more than election day I love election night Um, I spend all Saturday evening glued to the tv to the bitter end until our newly elected or re-elected prime minister gives a victory speech and it was no different last year when Albo there you go gave his you may not remember, you may have like, completely removed that part of the, your, the history from your life, you may not remember, the campaign was awful, um, it seemed to go on forever, but the election was brilliant. Um, the peerless Anthony Green on ABC TV pressed his buttons, did his thing, as results trickled in and eventually poof, the outcome became clear, and Albo came on stage to speak. It was actually pretty fascinating, it was emotional, from the usual minder from Albo of his humble roots being raised by a single mum on a disability pension through the overwhelming sense that he'd been waiting a very, very, very long time for this particular moment. And once he got to stage, albeit late on the Saturday night, after a very long campaign, it was all action. It was quick fire from Albo that night. He wasted no time at all. The Uluru Statement from the Heart will be embraced in full. Minimum wage will be lifted, immigration restrictions relaxed, gender equality to tackle. The finance team, they'll be in place within 24 hours and I'm off to the quad conference. Bang, 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 bang. It was pretty impressive for late on a Saturday night. His speech was bristling with energy and purpose and vitality. The months and years of campaigning for him had boiled down to a list of action-packed bullet points. Now over the past three and a half months or thereabouts, we've carefully worked our way through the immensely rich and detailed book that is Hebrews. It's been quite a journey. Last week we reached the climax of the theological arguments and now the final speech. Chapter 13 is what people call a peroratio, a brief, quick fire, vivid, and emotional conclusion which aptly applies all that's previously come before. The pastor says, right, in light of everything else that you've heard, here's what to do now. Here's how to live faithfully under pressure to keep running the race, keep trusting Jesus right to the end. Just like Albo's speech, it's rapid fire, staccato even. There's no messing around in Hebrews chapter 13 as he gets straight to the point. Well, actually, to four points. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, if chapter 12, before we open if if chapter 12 last week ended with us drawn into the very presence of God, reminded that through Jesus Christ, by trusting in him, he takes us by the hand into the very presence of God, into the heavenly realms, and we, if you're in the Lord Jesus, have been caught up in a kingdom that cannot be shaken, this heavenly reality, that's our destiny, which chapter 13 brings us right back down to earth. As those who belong to Jesus, what does it look like to to worship Jesus? What does it look like to live for Jesus, to love like Jesus, While we wait for the fullness of that future Well point one Love one another Verses one to four Verse one chapter 13 of Hebrews Keep on loving one another As brothers and sisters True worship is not a private matter Between me and God Or between you and God True worship is expressed in how I treat you and how you treat me. There's pressure for these people in the first century to whom the pastor's been preaching. There's pressure behind the scenes as the pastor writes this sermon. There's pressure on these people, and one of the things they're called to is to love each other. The sad reality, though, is as pressure mounts, opposition increases, and as that happens, so often divisions increase as well. The very moment when brothers and sisters in Christ need one another, that's when the friendly fire seems to increase. I've seen it many times, mercifully, not very often here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. But in the wider Christian world, not least on the internet or across social media, where Bible-believing Christians express their divisions and disagreements, sometimes in very ungodly ways, very unloving ways the tone, the words used, or the lack of time to listen, and how crucial it is that we pause and think before we hit send or say that word. A brother, and sister, uh, a brother who discipled me when I turned to Christ asked me at one stage, what's the hardest thing, Simon, do you think about the Christian life? What's the hardest thing in the Christian life? I can't remember what I said, don't even know if I had anything to say, actually. I was that sort of new to the Christian faith. Everything was pretty cool. But I said to him, I said, oh, what about you? Like, what's the hardest thing for you in the Christian life? And without a moment's hesitation, he replied, Other Christians. Isn't that sad? He then said, if you were to ask me what's the best thing about the Christian life, he said, I would say, Other Christians. There's huge joy, right, isn't there, that comes from being members of God's family. That's what struck me when I first turned to Christ when I became a Christian. This wonderful privilege of being part of this wider Christian family, so encouraging, so good, where we're all looking out for each other and and encouraging each other and wanting the best for each other in Christ. Yet sadly, sometimes it's not an encouragement as we turn on one another and drag each other down. And the pastor is saying, look, you've begun to love each other. Brothers and sisters at City Light Church in Adelaide. you've begun to love each other. Keep it up, even under pressure. Don't turn against each other. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And he continues in verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. First century inns apparently were notoriously unhygienic, hotbeds of immorality and ridiculously expensive. There was a duty therefore in believers as Christians kind of through town that you'd sort of put them up, care for them. And to undergird this appeal, right, the pastor draws from the Old Testament, particularly a passage they would have known back in the day, Genesis chapter 18, you might know it as well, where some strangers arrived and Abraham, the great man of faith, took them in, and didn't realize at the time that they were messengers from God. That's what the word angel means, messengers from God. It's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek comment, I think. You never know who these strangers might turn out to be. I recall back in 2010, I was um, serving as a student minister at a church in Kirribilli in New South Wales. I was leading a small group. We didn't call them DGs. We called them connect groups, but small group, Wednesday night, And one guy joined our group, his name was Dave. Now, Dave was about nine foot tall, not quite, but he felt like he was nine foot tall. He was about six foot wide, formerly served with the Australian Defence Force, and he had like tats all over him, right? He was the son of the Anglican Archbishop of Sydney. Um, And he turns up into our DG at this time when he turned up not trusting in the Lord Jesus. Actually, he had done pretty much everything but trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was drawn into our group, right? I think he was drawn into our group because every Wednesday night we had chicken and chips. Um, And then we'd meet for Bible study in a really cold, old hall where we'd read the Bible, talk about the Bible, pray together, etc. He kept coming back, I think for the chicken. No, he kept coming back and back. And then wonderfully and incredibly, Dave came to know Jesus. It was extraordinary. Dave was an angel not just because he actually was just a nice guy but because he's a messenger of God today Dave testifies to the Lord Jesus Christ as a pastor of a church on the north coast of New South Wales and he goes around Australia preaching the good news of Jesus at all kinds of events he loves Jesus and he's a messenger of God we were completely unaware of who was in our presence how do we treat strangers? Each Sunday here at City Light Church North Adelaide, we have people who come who've never been here before. And it's lovely when I get to meet them up the door or a bit later on, and they might say to me, you know, when I came to City Light Church North Adelaide, I was just overwhelmed by the coffee. No, I was overwhelmed by the welcome. But every now and then, people say to me, I came to City Light North Church North Adelaide, and no one said a word to me. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if the people sitting either side of that person said exactly the same. I sat next to someone and they didn't say a word to me because the reality is, right, in a church like ours, in a moment like we find ourselves in, you can end up sitting in our church amongst a whole bunch of people who would consider themselves newcomers. That's the reality. So here's the thing. If you've been coming to City Light Church for a little while, consider yourself part of the family. Remember who was welcoming you You could be that person for someone else. Then verse three, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Out of sight, out of mind, that must never be in the family of God's people. People who are housebound, who are unable to be with us because of illness or old age must never be Overlooked. Those who are imprisoned, and some of the people in this church to whom the pastor writes in the first century were in prison for their faith. They must not be forgotten. I'm told as well in the first century, if you got sent to prison, you got sent to prison with no clothes and no food. And so there was a deep reliance on people who knew you. And as we scatter around the country and the world, let's not forget one another. We have this beautiful, diverse community here at North Adelaide of people from all over the world. And some of us will, I think, at some stage, end up back in a home country where family and friends don't know the Lord Jesus Christ themselves. Maybe back to a country where political systems are absolutely opposed to the gospel. And I hope very much that our friends, your friends, will remember you, keep in touch with you, pray for you, encourage and support you. Not simply as a burden placed on us from outside, but a real desire from within. It's said that a parent is only as happy as their unhappiest child. You can't be unemotionally connected to your children. And Paul the Apostle, in another part of the Bible, reminds us that is what it's like to be part of a Christian family. And so, with Paul, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn. And someone's in prison, you're there with them because you're so conscious of their needs. It's a big deal for these Christians to have a brother or sister locked up in prison to say I identify with them. It was, you know, today when someone's in prison, it's sort of a sense of like a, a bit lefty to kind of go I'm going to go and love them, I'm going to go and see them in the prison. It wasn't like that in the first century. It was to identify with someone in prison was a disgrace. It was hard for these people. You we know, have to be conscious of the needs of those who are in prison, of those who are mistreated, those who are suffering, as if we ourselves were suffering. That's the kind of love we're to express to each other. And then verse 4. Slightly, it seems to be a slightly different topic. Have a look at verse 4. Marriage should be honoured by all, or marriage, in another way, should be honoured in every way, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually Immoral sounds a little bit out of how does this fit with loving one another, but I think it fits really well with the theme of love because if you don't behave well sexually, that's an unloving act which undermines not only God's church but also all of society. And do notice, Christian ethics in the Bible begin with the positive. A lot of people assume that God is, I don't know, embarrassed about sex, embarrassed about bodies and kind of wished it doesn't really exist. But the Bible's really clear. God made us, men and women. He made sex. He gave it to us. God invented marriage as the context for men and women to come together in lifelong sexual union. And the one flesh union of marriage reflects that beautiful union of Christ and his church. Marriage should be honoured by all, in every way, says our pastor. And only once he states the positive does he give the negative. That's the Bible all the way through. The negative only follows the positive. Marriage should be honored by all and protected, so sex outside of that context, in whatever form, is to be avoided. You know, come on, Jacko, sex is just a bodily thing. It's just what we do. It doesn't really matter, but it does matter. Sex in the wrong context dishonors marriage and displeases God. He will judge those who don't repent of such behavior. Maybe that's a warning, a challenge to some of us today. Love one another. That's the first theme. The second is this, be content. Be content, this is verses five and six. Verse five, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I don't know, when we first read Hebrews chapter 13 we might generally think this sounds like a random collection of instructions that have just been piled together at the end the Bible has a lot to say about Christian ethics why does the pastor focus on these things well there will be a reason why if you've been with us through the whole journey through Hebrews our pastor is very thoughtful and deliberate about what he says and doesn't say so we've got to hold that together And we might imagine he says this, you know, keep your lives free from the love of money, be content with what you have, because if you were here, chapter 10, we heard that in those early days, some of these young Christians faced the loss of their property, confiscated from them because they were followers of the Lord Jesus. Christian commitment back in the first century was a real risk to your financial security and your stability. In the Roman world, right, we've looked at this in the book of Revelation if you are here with us a little while ago. In the Roman world, you couldn't engage in financial activity unless you were part of a trade guild, and you couldn't be part of a trade guild unless you bowed down to the Roman emperor as if they were God, as if they were divine. So you can see, right, how Christian commitment would challenge your financial security and the pro- and your prospects. And so how tempting it must have been to compromise out of a love for money be content says the pastor i'm in a bit of a phase in my life right now where i'm loving the puritans group of people who wrote and lived as christians way back in the sort of 1600s and things like that a book that i've really enjoyed i was showing this to izzy just before a book that i'm really enjoying reading at the moment is this the Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by a guy named Jeremiah Burroughs. It's just like dripping with gold, although it's a classic Puritan book where it takes forever to get through it because the language is so hot of it, it's hard to kind of get ahead of it, but once you stick with it, whew, it just, it's wonderful. But he writes in this book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, how the devil likes to fish in troubled waters. We're content. All is calm in the sea of our lives. The devil struggles to kind of get in there and to tempt us. But if we feel like we're out of control and not content with his, well, if we're not content, well, his strategies are much more likely to drag us into sin. If we're not content with the money we've got, we'll be much more prone to being dishonest in order to get that job, to get that promotion or to land the deal. We're much more tempted to neglect our Christian commitments to one another, our involvement in the local church because there's nothing more important than getting back to work. So we'll work all hours and our Christian life will slide and suffer. And so in light of that, the writer, the pastor, points to two Old Testament verses in Hebrews chapter 13. As you read through this chapter, you'll find just not commands, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, but you also find reasons to obey them. And so we find at the end of verse five, what undergirds this appeal to be content? Well, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. How wonderful. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, says the Lord. It's a wonderful encouragement. G.K. Chesterton once said, there are two ways to try to get enough, one, try to get more or two desire less if the goal is to get more and more and more and more and more we'll find that we'll be never satisfied we'll always want just a little bit more but how wonderfully freeing to desire less money because we know that we have everything we need spiritually in christ he'll never leave us he'll never forsake us Burroughs in this book says he has all things who has him, who has all things. Isn't that good? He has all things, who has him, who has all things. If we've got Christ, if we've got the living God who is with me and for me and will never forsake me, I don't need to be worried about getting more and more money, more and more possessions or whatever it might be. There's a wonderful freedom in knowing that God and his love for me It's nothing more significant, nothing more secure than that. And so verse six, we say with confidence and we join in with the pastor, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Straight out of Psalm 118, a Psalm which is all about keeping on going under pressure. The psalmist writes this from verse five. I think it's coming up on the screen. When hard pressed, I cry to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. I hope you are someone here this morning who knows and loves the Lord Jesus and therefore knows that He is with you and He is for you as you face the future. I don't know, maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're anxious about the week ahead, maybe you're anxious about the month ahead, maybe you're just generally anxious about your entire life. Know that the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. It's a magnificent encouragement to these first century Christians worried perhaps that their property is going to be taken away. The pastor's is saying, you know what, they might take your house, but they cannot take your saviour. cannot do that. So be content. And please note, this is a wonderful inversion of how so many people think about the Christian faith. I grew up in a Roman Catholic background, and I was a terrible Sunday school student, by the way. Like I was the worst. Um, so when I see our kids going nuts next door, I'm like right there with you. Like I know it. I know. I know where you are. I was not a good Roman Catholic Sunday school student, but my understanding as I was growing up in the church a little bit was that I assumed that the Bible was all about rules, all about obligations, things that I had to obey, right? You know, Simon, do not forsake God. Do not forsake God. You must not fail him or else. You know, man, that was the message that I kind of grew up on. But the Bible never begins with commands. It always begins with promise, Not so much don't leave me, don't forsake me, don't fail me Simon, it's God who says I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. The Christian faith begins with God, it begins with his grace, it begins with his promises, what he's done for us in Christ and only in light of his amazing grace, in light of his incredible faithfulness is there the grounds and encouragement for us to live lives that are shaped by grace and faithfulness and knowing him be content, be content. Thirdly, Jesus, keep Jesus central. Love one another, be content, and our pastor says, verse seven to 10, keep Jesus central. And here we come to perhaps the most famous verse in all of this sermon that is the book of Hebrews. Verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Can you say it with me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and forever. And if you're an avid book buyer at Kurung, you can go to Kurung tomorrow, they're not open today, and you'll go there and get a nice poster on the wall, you know, Jesus' name yesterday, today and forever, a plaque, get mugs, all kinds of Christian merch, right, with this verse on it. I wonder though if you've ever spotted the context before. It, it's sandwiched between two statements about two different kinds of leaders and their teaching. So verse seven, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Some former leaders who've been around the traps where this book of Hebrews, this group, this church that are receiving this letter, some former leaders probably have died, could be the apostolic generation, those who witnessed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and became apostles, whoever they are, right? these leaders have, have nurtured the church in the early days. He says, remember them, remember the ones who spoke the word of God to you. And by the way, a little later on, verse 17 in our chapter, when the pastor says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their, their authority, it's not because leaders have an authority of their own. It's only submit to them only as long as they speak the word of the gospel to you, the God's word to you. So my task other leaders here at North Adelaide, we're not leaders in our own right. Only submit to me. Only submit to the elders. Only submit to your DG leader. Only submit to Ellen, our pastor for women, who's not here today, by the way. As far as we, they submit to Jesus and mediate his message. We are just under shepherds. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, our leader. If we don't do that, if we don't teach the word of God, if we don't point you to Jesus, don't listen to us. Don't listen to me. But these former leaders were speaking the word of God and the writer says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Here are ones who'd kept running the race, even under pressure to the end. They'd been maybe martyred for all we know. And the writer says, follow their example as they followed Christ, as they no doubt taught about Christ, who is the great perfect example of race running they're the former leaders may not be around anymore but they spoke of christ and christ is certainly around former leaders not around anymore jesus always around verse 8 jesus christ is the same yesterday and today and forever the original word order emphasizes Jesus flawless consistency this is the word order Jesus Christ yesterday and today the same and forever leaders may come and go but Jesus never changes same yesterday when he shed his blood on the cross as a sacrifice to open the way back to God. Today, as our great high priest, the trailblazer, sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us, applying the gospel to us all the time, tomorrow the same as the one who will come again to inherit the perfect kingdom and where all will be well and all will be put right. These are the truths, right, that dominate the pastor's sermon about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, what he will do. Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises that have been laid out. The one who is the true and better revelation. In the past, God spoke in many ways and in various ways, but now in the Lord Jesus has spoken definitively, uniquely, and powerfully. The one who is the true and better high priest who doesn't need to offer sacrifices for his own sin. Why? Because he never sinned. The one who offers a true and better sacrifice, not the blood of animals, but his own blood that we might have access to the Father again. True and better access, not into some human tent, but into heaven itself. And therefore a better covenant enacted through his blood, bringing intimate knowledge of God through the Holy Spirit, full, free, and forever forgiveness of our sins. These are the truths that dominate Hebrews. It's all about Jesus. A guy named Griffith Thomas wrote a book back in the 19th century with the title, Christianity is Christ. Good title for a book. Great title for a book. And how true it is, it's all about Christ. Jesus these Christians back in the first century that started well because they'd recognized that Jesus is at the center of the entire revelation of God Jesus is the center of God's unfolding story of salvation from creation through to revelation and beyond and now they just keen to keep looking at him Hebrews 12 verse 2 fix your eyes on Jesus he hasn't changed he's still the same when you began some of us in the room started trusting the lord jesus only recently some people a long time ago what does want to say to us today in 10 years time in 20 years time things in your life may have changed but jesus will not have changed keep trusting jesus keep living for jesus keep loving for jesus if you know me if you've been part of the church for a while and i have your mobile phone number You'll know that you regularly get text messages from me, especially if you don't turn up to church. And can I say publicly, when I send you a text message to say, where the heck were you today? It's not because, you know, it's all about bums on seats. It's because I love you. It's because I want you to be part of what we're doing here. And I want you to get the encouragement. But you'll notice at the end of that, where the heck were you text message, are either three letters or three words, KTJ or keep trusting Jesus. Because I don't, want you just to, I don't want you to trust me. I want you to trust him in whatever circumstances you find yourself in. Keep trusting Jesus. I recall John Newton once saying this, the great battle in the Christian life is to keep our two eyes fixed on Jesus. That's the battle for all of us, right? How easily we can be distracted or deflected from Christ. And so it seems at this time in this first century, there were some teachers coming along, verse 9, they began shifting away from Christ to other things and the pastor has to say to them in verse 9, chapter 13, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. Do you want to summarise the Christian faith? Two words? Here are the two words I chose. Christ and grace. Three words, isn't it? Christ, grace, can I do that? Amazing grace. Undeserved love and favour. Made possible because of Christ and what he's done for us. And what a wonderful assurance that comes to us from God's grace. If anything in our relationship with God depends on me and what I do, I'll never have assurance. I'll never know if I've done enough. But grace... Remember the words back in chapter 10, verse 22? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. That's grace. It's all about Jesus and what he's done. Cleansing me, cleansing you, cleansing us so that we can have joy and peace and certain hope for the future, come what may. Spurs us on in the Christian life. So the pastor says, verse nine, it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. And that's our prayer every Sunday in every DG that your hearts will be strengthened by God's amazing grace. Of course, there is a way of living in light of God's grace, the emphasis we hope around here in all that we do is on God and what he's done for us and only then our response of trust and godliness and obedience but now it seems there are teachers on the block who are shifting the emphasis away to away from Christ and onto what we must do less about grace more about rules ceremonial foods are mentioned Seems they're saying you've got to go back to the temple, back to the synagogue, back to some Jewish laws and rituals. Now, that might not be a temptation for us, probably isn't. But there will be a temptation, if not now, but later, to shift from Christ to focusing on what we must do. It might even be related to food. Yeah, maybe you're someone who observes Lent and you go, you know, if I. Got to abstain from chocolate in that month leading up to Easter. If I don't, I won't be right with God. The emphasis becomes on the chocolate and me, not on Christ. Maybe you're here, and you know, oh, you know, if I miss celebrating the Lord's Supper, I'll be a little bit out of step, out of favour with God. The Lord's Supper is great. I don't know what it is for you. Paul in Romans 14 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace. And joy in the Holy Spirit. So, Hebrews 13, verse 10 we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Brothers and sisters, do you want spiritual food? Do you want spiritual food? Yes. Thank you. You'll find it in Christ, in his crucifixion. That's the altar where he sacrificed himself as a sacrifice for our sin, and we feed on him in our hearts by faith as we trust in his body given for us and his blood shed for our forgiveness. That's our spiritual food. That's the food that nourishes and strengthens and gives life because it's grace. So we don't need to go back to the temple. In fact, he's saying those who still minister at the tabernacle, who still trust in all those Old Testament sacrifices, they don't enjoy the spiritual life. Don't go back. Keep Jesus central. And then one final theme. Embrace disgrace. Love one another. Be content. Keep Jesus central. Embrace disgrace. Verses 11 through 16. Let me read verse 13. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. In verse 11, the pastor is referring to the sin offering in the Old Testament. The blood of the animal would be offered in the tabernacle before the Lord, but the carcass of the animal would be taken outside the camp, as it were, outside the city walls. And the pastor draws the parallel between Jesus and his sacrifice. So verse 12, and so Jesus also offered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Remember the visual picture we've had sort of throughout the journey Occasionally now and then through Hebrews, you know, week by week, the majority of the community were walking down the main street towards the impressive temple or synagogue and focused on animal sacrifices. You'd see elaborately dressed priests, there'd be rituals, there'd be rules, there'd be visual stuff and smells. But now some people back in this first century have put their trust in Jesus and realized that's not the focus of everything anymore. So they've gone against the flow of the society, against the community. They've gone down off the main street, down the little side street, to a little house down the back street, and into a little room down in the back street off this little home. And they're meeting there as God's people who've put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the people around them are saying, you're mad. What are you doing that for? how tempting it is to follow the crowd, to stop going against the flow. And the pastor speaking to those who attempted to go back to where everyone else is going, says, no, remember Jesus. Remember him. Go to where Jesus is. You won't find him in the temple. No, he offered his sacrifice outside the city gate, not even a back street, but the other side of the wall altogether, where he was despised and rejected by the political and religious establishments of the day because he didn't fit neatly with their systems. That's where he belongs. And that's where you and I belong if we wanna be with him. So verse 13, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. And what an urgent message, brothers and sisters, for us today. Because we feel as we live the Christian life that the world is going in another direction, I feel that. Heading towards a temple of pluralism, of relativism, of individualism or individual expressivism, whatever ism you wanna throw out there, it's hard. I became a Christian in 2002 and I think you could just about still say that there was a kind of Christian not we weren't a Christian nation but there was a a sensitivity a a reasonableness towards Christians at the time you know you'd you'd get like Christians would at least get lip service I think um, for our Judeo-Christian heritage Um, some people would sort of adhere to Christian values even though they maybe didn't really commit to them or believe in them but the worst you'd expect when I became a Christian I reckon was an occasional jeer or a snide comment I think it's different now When I first turned to Christ, my close friendship group from school just called me the Jesus freak in a loving kind of way. It's different now. We mustn't exaggerate, right? We're not being persecuted. It's nothing like what brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are experiencing. But we must recognize that today we live in a time when the Christian worldview isn't simply believed to be like a quaint kind of little bit old-fashioned way of living It's seen as intolerant, bigoted, and hateful. And I think we can expect hostility to rise. I think this is a big issue as we face, for some of us, I trust, decades ahead. And who knows, right? It might get easier, but I think the way things are going, I think it's only going to get harder to keep trusting Jesus. There'll be massive pressure because... We feel the tide is going in the opposite direction and there'll be disgrace, I think, for many of us for heading in the other direction. And there'll be times of huge temptation. Maybe you feel it right now. I feel it at times. To embrace a form of the Christian faith that is, well, a bit more comfortable and fits more neatly with our cultural moment. I don't know, to deny the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just one way among many. So we fit in with pluralism. Deny the challenges of Christ, right? affirm the come as you are motto, which is a wonderful part of the Christian message, right? We've all blown it. We're all a mess. Come as you are. But then for us to kind of say, it's actually okay for you to stay as you are. There's no need to change. Removing the requirement that we all have to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and live for him. It could be very costly to remain faithful to Jesus in a world like ours and even in the church and we've seen haven't we high high profile business people politicians sports people vilified for expressing views that go against the mainstream not even allowed to have such views anymore let alone express them there's an increasing culture I think of intimidation and fear and of course it's not always right to speak yeah Sometimes we have to exercise wisdom and know when to speak and when not to speak. There are times to be silent. And there are times when I've even seen these politicians, business people, etc., kind of go, I don't think you should have said it like that. That wasn't great. But there will be times in the future where standing out against the tide, speaking out against the tide, could be really costly. We might lose friends. We might lose reputations. We might even lose jobs. And friends and family who don't share our love for the Lord Jesus will say, like, why on earth are you still trusting him? And the answer comes, verse 14, chapter 13. For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. We do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Like the Old Testament saints of Hebrews chapter 11, who focused not only on the present world, who kept trusting God even under pressure, they focused on the world to come. And you know what the reality is? We've already come there. Spiritually, we are there in the very presence of the living God. In Christ Jesus, through faith, we've entered heaven itself. And one day, heaven will be established on earth and we will be with Jesus and enjoy him forever. That's the hope of the Bible. That's the hope of the gospel. John, the apostle, looks to this future in Revelation 21. These are wonderful words. Just imagine what this is gonna be like. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And verse four, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away the kingdom to come will be more real, more substantial, more secure, more solid than the shadow lands in which we now live. That's where we belong, that unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ. And when he returns, none of us will think how foolish it was to live a life of sacrifice for him. The fools will be those who only lived for the things of this world, the things that will not last, having lived a life of ignoring and rejecting the Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of God. And so the message of this sermon, the message of the book of Hebrews, is live for the heavenly Jerusalem. Don't go back to the earthly Jerusalem. Don't go back to the temple where human beings worship. No, join Christ in the worship of heaven. So verse 15, Through Jesus, therefore, Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Don't go back to the temple. Don't go back to the old sacrifices. No, here's the sacrifice that you're called to today. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, like me, here is what we're called to, the sacrifice of praise. Notice the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Let's not slink off, shrink back, slide down that back street to the back room, hoping that no one notices, hoping that, you know, don't give up meeting together in case someone spots, oh, you're one of them. Oh, you're one of those Christians who openly professes Jesus' name. You know, people might say to us, right, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? Well, yeah, I do. You don't go there, do you? City Light Church, North Adelaide, yeah, I do. You're not one of them, are you? Yeah, I am. That's the sacrifice of praise. Saying I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I worship Jesus. I shape my life around him. That's the sacrifice he's after. And verse 16, also supplying the material needs of others. Verse 16, And do not forget to do good and to share with others. Oh, how we are going to need each other in what I think are going to become increasingly difficult days. We're going to need each other. Not just for encouragement, but I think for practical support. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. It's heaps easy to be part of the mainstream society But we're called to identify with Jesus, to bear his name, and even to bear bear the reproach of him that he experienced. So let's embrace disgrace together, knowing our reward is to come. So brothers and sisters, keep running the race. Don't look back, don't look back. It won't be easy, but we don't run alone. God is with us and we have each other. So love one another, Be content, keep Jesus central, and embrace disgrace. And at the end of this sermon, our pastor who's appealed urgently all the way along, all he can do right at the very end is just commit himself and all of us to the living God himself with the stunning benediction of verse 20, which reads, now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray as the band comes up. going to give you a minute in the quiet of your own heart to come before the Lord in a moment of prayer, just reflecting on those things we've looked at, the call as we live in this world, waiting for Jesus to come back, the call to love one another, the call to be content, the call to keep Jesus central. And also our privilege to embrace disgrace, to stand for Jesus together. Heavenly Father, we pray with thanks for your word. We thank you for our time together as a church over the past few months in this rich and powerful book, the book of Hebrews. Father, thank you for the way that you call us to such a wonderful thing, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope of a city, that is eternal. Father, thank you that we've been caught up in what you're doing in the world. Father, thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus. Help us to live lives that honour him and glorify him. Father, keep us in the hope that we've grasped. And Father, I do pray that you'd protect us as a church from simply being a church that believes the right things but does nothing with them. Father, inspired by those who've gone before us, who trusted in your promises, Father, help us not just simply believe, but help us to put what we believe to work in our lives as we wait for Jesus to return. Help us to be like the old saints who believed and packed their camels, who believed and built arks, who believed and acted on what you'd promised. And Father, help us to love one another, Help us to not clamber after money. Father, help us to keep Jesus at the centre of all that we do. And Father, help us to stand together, to image before our needy world something beautiful, a family of God's people living for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.